Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. And before we get into currencies and commodities, Stephen Pritchard, uh, we know that coal is coal exports are on the way up a little bit, bit more demand for our coal. Um, what actually happens to the royalties that come from those coal shipments? Uh, well, I can tell you what doesn't happen to them. They're not spent here. I mean, there's been $3.5 billion collected by the state government in coal royalties over the last couple of years, and approximately $50 million has come back to this region. So we now find our, state, find our position that we've got $3.5 billion going to the state treasury, and the public school area in the region's got um, $100 million of backlog in repairs, and one of the schools, um, you know, is going to take 33 years to bring up to standard on the, on the current rate of expenditure. So, so, you know, the state government needs to explain why why these royalties aren't coming back to where they're generated and perhaps you know there needs to be a, a trust set up to pay the royalties into not into state consolidated revenue and that money being spent in the region where, where the royalties are generated well there's a good idea okay. we'll be very wealthy then <laughs> as a region of course as a region yes uh, yeah well we won't go into the region's finances right at the no, moment. No, no, we're, we're going just to chipping away bit by bit. But what about currencies and commodities? How are they travelling? Um, quite well. I mean, the gold price—the gold price was up two point four percent on the week for any people who hold a few um, ounces of gold somewhere. And um, the copper price was down three point five percent on the week to $7,578 a tonne. Um, the Australian dollar was was down marginally on the week to um, 76.44 US um, and against the euro we were up 3.3% to 71.45 euro cents. Um, the All Ordinaries Index and most index around the world pretty similar to last week. Um, we closed yesterday at 5,703, which is um, compared to 5,696 last week. So there's no real change there. Uh, the UK Index was 7,188 um, compared to 7,140 this week. I mean, there's another bill gone through the Parliament, the UK Parliament to... Uh, move the BREX separation along, which I think the market's now saying in the UK that's going to be good for the UK. Although Scotland's not happy. They want to have their interests taken into account, which are presumably different from Britain. Well, there's always going to be someone who's not happy, you know. <laughs> um, um, so the, uh, on, the, on the resources, for, on the stock prices... Um, BHP closed yesterday at $25.74 um, compared to $27.04, so it's down 5% on the week. Uh, CBA closed at $82.35 compared to $82 last week, so it's pretty similar. Um, one of the local stocks in IB was uh, up 2.6% on the week for you, $4.71 compared to $4.59 last week. And Telstra, which every man his dog seems to hold, was $5.09 yesterday compared to $5.07 last week, so it was up about 1.2% on the week. Um, the fuel price, we've still got this huge um, deficiency between Newcastle and Sydney. Um, Newcastle prices have, 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 have gone up $1.32 in Newcastle. Is there holidays or something coming up? Oh. I don't know. $1.32 um, this morning and compared to uh, $1.16 a litre in Sydney. So we're back to $0.15, cents, a $0.16 cents a litre difference. And um, the diesel prices were only steady, uh, $1.22 in Newcastle and $1.21 
in Sydney. So as we said before, it costs just as much to transport a litre of diesel as it does unleaded. So I don't understand why there's a price differential. Mm, Maybe somebody can explain it. Time to check out our market, the market update, in fact, with Henry Jennings from the Marcus Today financial newsletter. Over to you, Stephen. Henry. Stephen, how are you? I'm good. Um, um, I, I see one of the things today is that the uh, the uh, excess executive salaries now appear to be getting into the uh, <laughs> that quasi public sector, but they've exceeded even the private sector. Oh, it's, it, that's quite it's quite scary, isn't it? Can you imagine? This is we're talking about Ahmed Farouk. Yeah. Um, if I pronounce that correctly, Ahmed Farouk. And he earns 5.6 million bucks as head of the post office. So he is postman pat and a half um, with that kind of salary. And I would imagine that the people, the good people who deliver our mail are looking at that this morning thinking, really? And you're quibbling about a little pay rise for us every now and then? I, I find that um, extraordinary and I can't see how that can uh, last. But anyway. And of course, you, you you dug some numbers out on the head of um, FedEx, which is far bigger than Australia Post. And what was he I, getting paid? Yeah, well, the head of FedEx gets about six million US. So I guess that's um, you know that's a, that's a bit more than uh, the Australia Post guy. But then you know FedEx, you'd like to think is uh, is a slightly more complicated business and a slightly bigger business, and it's also a public company. And this is one of the things I guess that uh, I find remarkable is that Australia Post seems to fight um, tooth and nail not to have that salary revealed, which um, in hindsight you can actually understand why because mm. um, all the employees will be looking at it and questioning it whereas uh, FedEx is a public company so they should be allowed uh, public scrutiny mm. but um, Australian Post can't pay private sector money and be a publicly owned company, it seems crazy but anyway. Well I mean the other thing is I had a quick look at CSL which is a far more complex business, it turns, yep. it, it turns over um, about $6 billion, makes one point two, yeah. and the MD of that gets $8 million, which 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 you know, there's no comparison, really, between no. CSL and Australia Post. No. Well, what else is amazing is this, this gentleman who runs Australia Post, he was actually overlooked for the top spot at NAB, um, which I'm sure, in hindsight, he'd be delighted about because I'd imagine that, uh, um, you know, the, the top spot at NAB probably gets about the same money and it's probably a far more complicated business mm. and stressful business to run than being head posty. Mm. Anyhow, we'll go on to something more successful. Rio seems to have come out with a, a bumper profit of $5.1 billion, uh, US and a, a, yeah. and, and a dividend, a fully frank dividend of $1.70 US. Yeah, I mean, the, the market's a hard, a hard mistress at the moment to please. You would have thought that that was a bumper number. Yep. And you would have thought that people would be pretty... Uh, Pretty excited about that. I guess one of the things that's slightly disappointing is the capital management thing. Um, they've seen as being a little stingy with the dividend, although that does seem to be pretty good. Um, and um, the other thing is that um, the share buyback, which they're doing a 500 million US share buyback, but they're doing it in London, not in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big discount in London because the two the, the companies has its shares listed on both uh, London and uh, and Australia and, and the ASX. And there's about a 14% discount on the uh, London market. So it makes sense for the company to buy back 
the shares in London because they're, they're a lot cheaper there. But um, I think the market was a little bit disappointed. The, um, the reaction in London because they, they they come out after hours, which is a bit niggly as well. So they come out at five o'clock uh, in the afternoon, which is after hours here and it's before hours in the UK. Um, but the stock's down 0.6 of a percent today. So somewhat muted. The stock has had a pretty good run. So I guess there's a bit of that involved as well. But uh, the, the gearing level is going to be down to 17 percent. Mm-hmm. And, and if they get the money for the coal and allied uh, business, which they're selling to Yan Coal, which I'm sure your listeners are very aware of in the, in the Newcastle area, um, that gearing drops to 10 percent. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, they, yeah. they really are doing quite well. And, and Yang Coal's now starting to look around at raising for to raise to be an equity to fund the, the Rio assets. Yeah, good luck with that. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, they are. They're, and Yang Coal is about 78% owned by the Chinese uh, oh. government, effectively. So um, they've said they're obviously going to tip in their bit, but they're looking for other people to tip in um, extra money as well to complete that purchase. Yeah. Um, I think from memory, it was around $2.5 billion US for the... Uh, the Rio coal assets that, that would make Yang Coal the biggest uh, coal company in Australia. Yes, and then Macquarie's come out and said that um, the proposed U- US tax changes are going to be a material benefit to their uh, to their US business. Yeah, um, Macquarie, I think, got a little bit harshly treated. They, they, they are renowned, I guess, for uh, under-promising and over-delivering. Uh, they came out with their um, trading updates uh, as at uh, the end of December because they have a March year-end and they, they've also guided the market to a number that's going to be broadly in line with uh, with last year in total, which was around $2.1 billion. So it's not exactly a shabby state of affairs for Macquarie. Uh, and they have a lot of their business now is in the U.S. Um, and as a result, you know, as we all know from uh, from days gone by, Macquarie's a very good infrastructure player. And if, uh, if the Donster in, uh, in the U.S. does uh, follow through on one of his uh, more sensible um, policies, then uh, he said that he will push infrastructure, which you would imagine Macquarie would be in somewhat of a box seat in the U.S., mm. um, apart from that they're not American, of course, which might not be so good. Um, but certainly that, that's the, the hope that they will pick up some of that, uh, at least the U.S. Um, infrastructure funding side of things, maybe. Um, and it's good for them, and of course a lower tax rate as well if that comes to fruition. That also is good for them too. So there's a lot of things going for them, but the market didn't really get very excited about the numbers. And having said that, you know, when you look at the uh, National National Australia Bank numbers as well, it was hard to get really excited about that either. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit ho-hum, I guess, in the banking sector. There's a lot of, uh, not so much headwinds, but it's, it's not exactly punching the lights out growth-wise at the moment. So with all these uh, uh, half-year uh, results coming out, it's important for investors to keep uh, on top of that because I know a lot of our listeners have got um, share market investment, so um, they can get your uh, daily comments, Henry? They can indeed. They can, uh, they can, get a, they can sign up for a trial of our news. They're on markustoday.com.au. And what we've been uh, warning clients about, I guess, is the, is the so-called landmines where you get these... Uh, Massive re-ratings in stocks that happen uh, very quickly and very severely, um, and it is obviously very disconcerting. And it, it, I guess it shows the power at the moment of the professional trader because it's certainly not the retail investors reacting that quickly to these sorts of results. So um, one of our um, strategies to sort of cope with this, I guess, um, is if, if, you, if you're not actually in the stock and if you're looking to trade things, is actually to uh, to trade them after the results because at least there's some certainty, even if you miss some of the initial upside, um, the momentum tends to carry through. 
So um, we've seen that. The other thing that does seem to be quite noticeable is that there's a certain sort of mid to small cap bunch of stocks that have been really under the pump for a long time. I'm thinking of the focuses, the TPGs, those sorts of stocks, um, even premier investments to some extent. Um, and what's happening is we're seeing, you know, yesterday we saw premier investments come out with a slightly positive uh, sort of update. It was actually a downgrade on the numbers, but it was better than everyone was thinking, and the market popped 10%. So there's a lot of people that have got themselves very negative. Um, so not only the landmines blowing up people that actually own the stock, but they're also blowing up people that have sold that stock and have short the stock, those professional traders that are shorting the stock. So um, interesting times, lots of intraday kind of volatility in individual stocks, but not much in the headline index at the moment. Because mm, mm, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, the market seems to react very, very volatile. Oh, it, it, I think, uh, you know, I think it just goes to show the rise of computer trading. Yep. These um, programs uh, trade off Twitter feeds. They, they yep. analyze, um, you know, words, the keywords. They look for keywords, disappointing, challenging, and they're also the keywords yep. that it would look for, um, downgrade, guidance, those sorts of things. And they react swiftly and savagely. Um, so it does make it a little bit of a casino, and you know it, it's sometimes better to wait for the dust to settle a bit before you do anything, um, or you panic too much. And we, we've seen some quite big rebounds in you know dog stocks. I'm, I'm thinking Bellamy's have rallied 30% off their bottom in mid-January, mm-hmm. and you know Premier were up at 11%, and even Transurban put in a, a, a pretty good performance the other day, having been unloved and unwanted for some time. Okay, and just to close on, what do you think about the offer, the proposed offer or the offer for specialty fashion by the owners of Harrods? <laughs> this is a strange one, isn't it? You wouldn't yeah. think the Qatari royal family, which is behind this uh, this sort of Middle East money bid for a specialty fashion group, um, would be that interested in Katie's and Miller's and Rivers. Yeah. Um, they do own Harrods and they do have a significant uh, shareholding in the UK supermarket Sainsbury's. But it does seem a, a particularly strange yep. um, acquisition. I have to say, if I was a shareholder, I'd be uh, over the moon that someone's trying to offer yep. me uh, 70 cents, especially mm. given the, the state of the parlous state, I guess, at the moment of Australian yeah. retailing, where only the strong survive. Okay. Well, we'll survive. Be back to talk to you again next week, Henry. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Henry. Bye. Henry Jennings, a senior commentator with the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter on 2NURFM's Thursday Finance and Ethical Investments. Stephen Pritchard, we're um, talking to Stuart Palmer now. He joins us um, from the Australian Ethical Investments Group. And... uh yeah, I mean, we've found in our, in our firm there's more and more people who have come in and they've got a typical, um, you know, they, they, they're more interested in where the companies are and particularly direct investors, um, you know, they don't want to invest in um, certain stocks or banking stocks or resource stocks or, you know, gambling stocks or tobacco stocks. Um, and, and so I thought I'd get someone along from um, Australian Ethical Investments. They're one of the earliest um, uh, ethical investment fund managers in Australia, probably the oldest. So we've been get to today. We've got the head of the ethics research long to talk to us, um, Stuart Palmer. Stuart, so why 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 do people invest ethically? Do you think? Uh, yeah, hi, Stephen. Um, I think uh, there are different motivations that people have, and, and sometimes people will have more than one. But they, some people just feel very strongly they don't want to profit from an activity, a business that they consider to be unethical, causing causing harm. Uh, others think um, 
there's a you know that they want to utilise the power of their investments. So they think um, by allocating their capital in a considered way, they can help promote ethical, sustainable businesses, and and they can withhold capital from from unethical businesses. Uh, and that there's there's some who who just think uh, with their eye to long-term financial returns think that investing ethically and in sustainable businesses is a, is a, is a good financial investment strategy because those, they, they think that those businesses are going to tend to grow and thrive over time and, and those more ethically challenged businesses don't have that sort of bright future. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, looking at the long-term returns of some of the, your old Australian Ethical Investments older funds, the, the returns have been quite good. So it's not a matter of, you know, we're going to give some money to Ethical Investments, but really a charity, um, and don't expect to return. The returns on, on some of your funds have been um, quite good. Um, so what, what kind of um, do you mean by um, how do you determine what investments are uh, ethical or, or not? I mean, I mean, different people have different views on this, and so what mm. what do they do down at AEI or or you in particular? Mm-hmm. What what what? How do we determine which ones we're going mm. to go in and which ones we're not going to go into? Mm-hmm. Okay, so our starting point is what we call our ethical charter, which is a set of ethical principles providing sort of the bedrock for all those those ethical analysis. Uh, questions, and that's that's been in our company constitution, our fund constitutions for for thirty years, and we've over time sort of developed much more detailed um, uh, frameworks to to apply that. But they're 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 on our website. There's twenty three of them, so I'm not going to read them out. No, no. But essentially, they're um, they're directing us to to look for investments which are positive for people, animals, and the environment. And we're going to avoid requires us to avoid investments which cause unnecessary harm to those those things. Yeah, so so can we just have a couple of examples? Like, I mean, at the moment, the energy there's a lot of debate in in respect of the energy sector and renewable energy, and you know, particularly in South Australia at the moment. So, so mm-hmm. what, what, how would we go about approaching an investment in the mm-hmm. um, energy sector? And we've got a okay. couple of examples there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so we we start. Uh, at, at the top and say what's the what, what's the energy sector delivering what's its key product and service it's energy it's electricity uh, so that's the starting point is that's a positive that that electricity you know in, in, in allows us to live the wonderful diverse lives we we live uh, it helps lift people out of out of poverty by having access to uh, to to energy uh, affordable energy um, so that that's the starting point uh, we then say, well, let's think about what are the harms, uh, the side effects that, that uh, are caused, created by different forms of energy electricity generation. Let's use electricity as an example. So we've got fossil fuels, coal, oil and, and gas. We've got renewables. We've got nuclear um, renewables is going to include wind, solar, geothermal. Uh, and we look at what the hydro, what the different implications of they, them are uh, on the environment. And uh, we then decide, OK, uh, you know, we, we conduct a bit of a balancing exercise and, and some quite complex analysis by saying, well, if fossil fuels, for example, uh, are generating lots of greenhouse gases and that's warming the, war- warming the world, as, as the science tells us it is, and if that's going to cause a whole heap of harm uh, to people, animals and the environment, then what are the alternatives, renewables, what are their side effects? They certainly don't have those greenhouse gas emissions effects. Uh, can we 
move towards a world where we're getting all our energy from renewable energy and not, not needing fossil fuels? Our analysis is yes. So that, that leads us to a position where we won't invest in fossil fuel companies, but we will uh, target our investment in renewable energy companies. So there's a couple of um, New Zealand energy companies in the portfolio. I think um, mm-hmm. Mercury, mm-hmm. I think, I think uh, mm-hmm. and, and they manage their own electricity from uh, hydro, I think, in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the case? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, hydro and, and, and actually increasingly um, geothermal as well. So yeah. Contact Energy is another one, which has, has just um, spent a lot of money over the last few years in, in investing in building their geothermal generation capacity alongside their hydro capacity. Okay. Uh, and I know another big issue that um, some of my clients have spoken to me about is is, is um, uh, medical research and uh, researching involving, um, not only medical, I suppose, research involving the use of um, uh, of animals in for testing. So, so mm. do you have any kind of views on that? Yeah, we do, and that that is uh, you know one of the an, an example of the tough balancing that we we do in our application of the charter. I mean, the testing is obviously going to going to cause harm to to the animals involved. Uh, the benefits of developing new medical technologies, cures for uh, for, for serious uh, illness, is obviously um, a strong positive for for humans. So we navigate that by not excluding all medical research involving animal animals uh, but by having a very clear set of guidelines and restrictions on the type of animal testing that we would um, we would um, consider acceptable when we're investing in a in a company so that will look at what's the purpose of the testing is it necessary are there alternatives what sort of testing uh, is involved how is it regulated how how is the well-being of the animals uh, concerned safeguarded as as well as they can be accepting obviously that the, the suffering can't be eliminated in in many cases right so say so for example you you you, you 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 could invest in a company a medical company that uses animals for testing but you wouldn't invest in a medical company that used, uh, sorry, another company that used animals for cosmetics or something that wasn't. Certainly they're going to be they're they're ruled out right off the bat. Right. It's not a vital yep. human okay. uh, good. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and then we'll still rule out companies, yeah, which we just don't think are doing a good enough job of ensuring that any testing they do is absolutely necessary, minimised and, and conducted ethically. And, and in Australia, as an example, uh, you know, we have uh, you know a, a very extensive um, framework, regulatory framework around animal testing. So that, that gives us some, some comfort about testing uh, in Australia. Okay. And, and then I noticed another stock you had in there that was interesting um, in your portfolio because I've kind of gone through that is you've got some Westpac mm-hmm. and there's a bit yeah. of debate. I mean, a lot of people don't like the big banks and I was surprised mm-hmm. to see that you had actually Westpac in the portfolio. So, so mm-hmm. why, why, why is that kind of included? Yeah, so Westpac is, is at the moment the only one of the big four that we invest in. Uh, we, we tend to focus on uh, the smaller uh, banks, which attract sort of benefits uh, identified in our, in our ethical charter. But we, we see that, that big banks have an important role to play in allocating the big chunks of capital which are needed to build imported infrastructure to do things like develop um, further renewable energy generation capacity, for example. Uh, so we, 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 we look at, um, it, in the Australian sector, we've, we've historically um, seen Westpac as being a sustainability leader across a whole lot of different dimensions. Uh, it's not to say, obviously, that it's, that, it's, uh, that it's perfect. It lends to some businesses we don't like. Uh, it's had 
problems like the other banks have had in certain different parts of its business, although, you know, our, on our assessment less so, the, the financial planning uh, issues which have plagued, um, you know, some of the other big banks. Uh, Westpac have done a, a good job, we think, of, in terms of the way they uh, manage those risks of, of avoiding some of those bigger problems. So it's, it's very much a... Uh, okay, which who's 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 who do we think is doing better? And we and we think actually by investing then in a sustainability leader, you can actually encourage improvement across the whole sector. And I think we've seen that. I mean, we, one can be sceptical about this given the continuing flow of, uh, of scandal banking scandals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think partly that is a product of just increasing transparency and scrutiny, which is actually we think raising standards and 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 leading to a change of, of culture within. The major banks. Um, so, so you actually go deep in this Westpac. You actually not only crunch the numbers on the bank, but you're also going into, you know, seeing what they're doing on a micro level and, and looking at their portfolios. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, Westpac's an example of yeah, quite an intensive dialogue that we have with with key companies in the portfolio. Uh, so. Yeah, and, and, and indeed, you know, that's a, that's a private conversation where we have where we try and exercise a positive influence to try and get them to remedy some of the, the things that we think they can do better. But also, you know, publicly, we'll, we, we were at their um, AGM uh, in December, standing up, uh, asking them uh, to uh, increase their commitments around climate and specifically rule out certain fossil fuel projects. So okay. it's a, um, you know, it's a robust um, sort of relationship, uh, but... Um, yeah, we think it's yeah. We we see it at the at the moment as continuing to be a productive one. So that's why we're still invested in them. Okay, we will just have a quick break and, and come back and talk about screening processes. On to a new RFM's Thursday finance. Uh, we're looking at ethical investments at the moment with Stuart Palmer, who's head of ethics research from Australian Ethical Investments. Thursday finance on to a new RFM, and we're talking ethical investments, Stephen Pritchard. So, Stuart, we spoke about a couple of um, the, the stocks that are in the portfolio. So, is there some screening method you, you use to to kind of get to those? I've I've heard about uh, negative screening and positive screening. So, what what's all that about? Yeah, so um, a lot of people when they think about ethical investing will think about the the basic negative screens. Uh, uh, around not investing in tobacco, not investing in in gambling. Uh, so, negative screens basically identify activities which the investor thinks aren't positive for 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 the world, and therefore that that get excluded. So, you know, in our case, it extends beyond those those areas to to as I've mentioned, fossil fuels, but also um, sort of. Uh, companies producing unnecessary pollution, companies in, engaged in animal cruelty, companies which aren't uh, uh, properly protecting the human rights of, of people they they employ or local communities they they work with. Uh, so that's the negative side. Uh, alongside that, some funds like ours also have a positive screen. So it's not enough sort of to be doing no no unnecessary harm. We look uh, for the product service activity of the company to actually be producing some benefit for, for, the, for people, animals, or, or the planet. Um, so that's why, you know, we're natural investors in, in things like the healthcare sector, uh, renewable energy sector, uh, education, IT as, as an enabler of efficiency and, and productive activity. Um, so, yeah. so you'll you, you look at a particular sector too, do you? So the, the, the medical sector, you look at it, then what, select the best investments in that sector? Or? Well, 
Yeah, so the way the way we approach sectors, uh, our starting point is what's the core product and service and is that, do we think that's sustainable and valuable? And then if that gets the tick, then we'll look at how individual companies uh, in that sector are, are managing their, their key impacts. So we, we look at both how the company is performing and the sector it's in. Uh, some some responsible investment funds will sort of invest in all sectors, so they'll invest right across the economy and they'll just focus on, well, for companies in that particular sector, let's say a fossil fuel company, are they doing you know, a better job than their peers? Like uh, uh, then then they'll, they'll still invest in that sector, but they'll just try and skew their portfolio. They'll be weighted more to those better performing uh, companies. Uh, on a on that sort of environmental impact space than than the negative ones, whereas yeah, we apply we 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 do both. Okay, and then you, you mentioned about um, you went along to the Westpac annual general meeting. Mm. So so do you do you try and influence companies' um, management or the board or or, mm. or, or? Mm. we 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 do. I mean, we think that, yeah, that's another sort of. Um, a string to the bow of of an investor. You 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 exercise influence by where you put your money and where you don't put it, but also by getting a seat at the table as a contributor of capital to a business. You you get the opportunity to talk to management, uh, the board uh, about about things that you think you know potentially they could do better. And it's a two way street. It, it um, obviously that engagement gives us greater understanding of what the challenges and opportunities are in a sector. But we bring this broad ethical perspective, which means yeah we. You know, we look at things in a different way from mainstream analysts. So, yeah, the, the voice that we have, we think, is very important for, for companies to hear. Mm-hmm. So do, do any companies actually just don't want to hear you? I mean, do they say, oh, we don't want to talk to you? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, the door, uh, we find, is generally open. Um, right. uh, and if it's not, you know, that, that's a sign to us that this is this is. You know, probably not a company we should be investing. Yep. I mean, the question then is, what's the quality of the dialogue? There are certainly lots of times where we, we, we're disappointed that, that we'll have the dialogue and the conversation, but yet yeah, not see the progress that we want to see. And obviously, then we take that into account when we look at our investment, uh, our ongoing investment in, in, in the company. Um, but, but by and large, I think the, 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 the preparedness of companies to engage and talk on these environmental and social and animal issues has, is certainly growing. Yeah, and we've just got a quick minute to wrap up here. And, and mm-hmm. the, you know, I just noticed in our firm, um, people are more concerned where the money is being invested. I mean, of course, they still want to return, but the, the, mm. they want to influence. So mm. is that happening, you know, across the investment sector as a whole? Or yeah, it... we're seeing that in this, in this what, uh, so there's a Responsible Investment Association of Australia publishes a really interesting annual report on what's happening in this market and, and this core, what they call res- core responsible investment, which is this ethical investment part of the market, yeah, has, has doubled over the last three years. Uh, so a lot of people are, you know, voting for a range of reasons, I think. Um, you know, they are seeing that returns and, and ethical investment are aligned. Uh, uh, also, maybe there's an element of frustration with political inaction on some of the issues they think are important. So they're, they're saying, hey, if I can do something with where I put my super or my investments, so much the better. Okay. Well, that's an interesting concept about political inaction and influence for investment. I've never heard of that before, but anyhow, 
I can see I can see people would do it though. Um, thanks for coming along, Stuart. Um, okay, and that was interesting. And uh, we might get you back later in the year if you if you're free. Sounds good. Okay. No, I'm very really happy to talk. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, okay. Stuart Palmer from Australian Ethical Investments. He's the head of ethics research. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thank you, Jane. And we'll be back next Thursday after the um, midday news on Two and FM.